When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're as cold as frost. 31 times he lost in four years. I was singing the Northwestern jingle you'll hear later in the podcast. But anyway, welcome to the Scott Frost obituary here on Off Tackle Empire. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire. Welcome to Off Tackle Empire, uh, the internet's foremost Big Ten college football podcast uh, that is still in the form of a uh, of a difficult to digest without the supplemental site uh, complex layer of jokes that you may or may not get, um, and is not yet a series of articles that are about tweets that other people made. <laughs> we'll get to that. Just you wait. I think we should have an hourly series where an article is just a sickos committee tweet, and that's the whole article. Well, you know, in the meantime, this is very much going to be a Tim Buckley album, so we thank you all for joining us. We're going to be going a little bit out of chronological order as, you know, as opposed to what we would normally do, uh, because the Scott Frost firing is, of course, the major story of the week. Don't Don't worry, though. If you're here to... If you hear more for discussion of how the rest of the Big Ten West showed its entire perineum to the world, we'll get to that. But fortunately for all for the Wisconsins and the Iowas of the world and the Northwesterns and the what have yous, Trevor Alberts pulled the trigger on Scott Frost after week three, um, pulling was was Helton after week two or week three? Because what we have to figure out is was this a full Helton or was this a modified Helton? Well, Clay Helton also went to the Rose Bowl once. We're not comparing this to Clay Helton. We're comparing this to Chris Ash because the record is much more similar. I mean in terms of timing of firing in the year. But well, Chris Ash, Chris Ash, Ash was, was also, September, yeah. but I yeah. think he was end of September. We'll have to, we'll, you know what, we're going to work up this, we'll work up a full spectrum of September firings for you because I'm fairly sure Helton made it to the end of week three. It might only have been week two. And yes, Ash was definitely closer to the end of week three. So we'll have... Uh, uh, to rate the spectacularity of a September firing, which still, I mean, that's as good a place to start as any, is the the timing of this, because if there's anything that can happen in the first two or three weeks of the season that causes you to fire a coach, clearly he was on a hot enough seat and a short enough leash that he probably should have been fired in the offseason, yes? Yeah. Now, again, you bring up Clay Helton, and I think actually it's not just unfair to bring up Clay Helton. USC as a whole needs to stay out of this because they they specialize in September firings that are very, very dramatic. I believe Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin were both Septembers. Yeah, Sarkeesian was a little bit special circumstance, though, where they could no longer conceal substance abuse issues. And that that was partially about the on-field results, yes, but... There was other stuff to it. Well, I think the point where it came to the head came to a head was when, like, 
if I recall correctly, the game that he was supposedly super drunk for was by far USC's best performance of the year. So that's what made it untenable because it's like, yeah. we're just going to continue to fuel this man's substance abuse problems to win games. There's no other way around it. But yeah, yeah th- th- this is very similar to the Chris Ash firing because... Um, they won roughly the same number of games on a percentage basis. Well, and they... they this is crazy because I actually remember seeing several people online still holding out hope for Chris Ash when he was fired, which is insane to me, but nobody had these feelings for Scott Frost. And the thing is, one of the major ways that Illinois got to be, you know, Illinois going on like, you know, 10 years without a winning season is because... We wait until there's absolutely nobody left on God's green earth who would ever say there's any chance of things getting better before firing a coach. Yeah. That's what Nebraska did. That's how you get bad. Not like not competing for national championships. Like, you have the longest drought for bowl games in a conference that has Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, and Rutgers and Northwestern. Yeah, and there are, so other programs sometimes pull the trigger in a way. So the compare, like the other end of the spectrum would be, for example, Florida. Um, not just talking about Dan Mullen, but think of Jim McElwain, who had pretty good success his first year or two there, but by all accounts was absolutely intolerable in person and also fucked a shark. Um, so it was, again, like as soon as it was, they had the first excuse on the field, some loss they weren't, I think maybe like a loss. They dropped to a three and two. Yeah. And that was enough reason to fire him. And then with Dan Mullen, it built them into. They, they were a shoe yeah. throw away from competing for a national title. <laughs> and less than a year, you know, barely a year later, they show Dan Mullen the door as well. Even though, I mean, he's not, he, I don't think he played at Florida, but he was a coordinator on Urban Meyer's two national title teams. That's yeah. a guy with some cash. Well, and not not to mention, I mean, that's a guy that, like, I, I guess kind of thank God for Mississippi State fans that they have a, a, an interesting coach with a distinctive style. Because imagine if they were still, like, you know having hired the next equivalent of Joe Moorhead and can't get Dan Mullen to come back because Dan Mullen's Mississippi State was perfectly content to just chug along to nine, eight or nine wins a year, and those fans were over the moon. Yeah, still first ever number one in the college football playoff ranking. And of course, R2, our Husky correspondent, just wants us to get to the preview of Michigan State-Washington. He's been a real asshole about it all week. But yeah, Scott Frost really, I mean... It was a virtuoso performance for his swan song. Absolute miraculous stuff there. And Because it was always something with this guy through his whole tenure. The first few games of this season, there was a lot of evidence that they had really locked up the special teams. Or at least gotten it to a point where there wasn't predictably a disaster every game in a crucial moment. I mean, if you want to... I wouldn't bring up the onside against Northwestern here because that was a coaching decision. It, it, like expecting your kicker to go out and execute an onside in a high pressure moment like that, like that's not a failure of the player. Anyway, so what I mean there is, they have the players on the field capable of finally performing in the special teams. The offense with Casey Thompson coming in and a whole bunch of transfers at the skill positions has corralled the turnovers to within reasonable limits. They still have some, you know, a lot of drops against Northwestern. Turnovers have still been a thing, but like again, what you would see from a normal college program, and then they so they fixed everything that was a problem last year and the year before, and then the defense, which had been stable and 
quality and offered them some something they thought they could turn to absolutely dissolved into a pillar of ash. And they lost some talent guys on that side of the ball. I, you know, in our offseason preview, I really thought that they would be okay in the secondary because of all the talent they were bringing in. Guys like Tommy Hill from Arizona. I like. I thought they would be essentially just as good. Are you suggesting that Tommy wasn't uh, big time enough? No. Well, he's. We can't all be big time Tommy DeVito. Well, of course not. But you know, to your to your point, the fact is there was always a major and fatal flaw with this Nebraska program. Credit to Scott Frost for changing around what flaw it was, but yeah, uh, somehow. An enormous, like, basically all he did was move around the enormous thermal exhaust port. Yeah, so it's like, all right, we got to block off the exhaust port, take this big armor plate that goes directly to the reactor, not even to the exhaust, and put that over the, like... Yeah. So at the end of the day, you can talk about... Recru- well, you can't really talk about recruiting, but you say you can, right? But no, so that's that's another thing. The, so this, this subject came up in the Slack discussion with our colleagues on the masthead and a couple people referenced obliquely the mess he inherited. So let's get a couple things straight for the record before we move on from this topic. Mike Riley was not a good coach for Nebraska. His record is what it is. He was not a good, he was not an effective coach at using the resources that were available to him. But to argue that he did not leave a good situation for Scott Frost is ridiculous it wasn't all that long ago, guys. I mean, you can find our old episodes from the Mike Riley era. We commented almost every week all of these goofy losses they had. Where it's like, man, this doesn't look like it's going to work out. But whoever takes over for him is in a great situation. Look at all this talent. J.D. Spielman. They bring in Tajon Lindsay. Uh, they had plenty of talented players. Ben Stilley, local guys, too. Plenty of talent for Scott Frost to work with. He chose... To run off a lot of those guys. Uh, he chose to run off Stanley Morgan. And you know Tyjon Lindsay who's still playing. Is at Oregon State now. As they can build a resurgent program. Which is by the way. <laughs> kind of an interesting. So the name that I haven't seen brought up. By any of the national folks. Who put together lists for Nebraska. Is Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. Who I think is one of the better up and coming coaches. In the Power Five. Has built one of the most traditionally difficult places to win in the country into a capable team, like not a superpower by any means, but not a team that any Pac-12 team can chalk up as a win anymore. But yeah, to, to argue that Frost had nothing to work with and was just in too deep of a hole and couldn't win enough games to buy himself the time to get out of it is not the case. Mike, you're, gonna, you're basically trying to tell me that he inherited a worse... Because you'd have to. It would have to be true for him to have finished with a worse record, that he inherited a worse, a worse situation than Lovey Smith did at Illinois when they had an interim coach for a year after their previous coach basically couldn't recruit for a year because there was a lawsuit against him for medically neglecting his players, lost basically two years out of recruiting, were at the point where FAU was, pl- was flipping players from us, like Devin Singletary, I'm still mad about. Ooh, um, that one hurts. Yeah. We're, we're, we're at that point. We have to hire a coach in March because we didn't get an athletic director until March. And Lovey Smith, like, terrible uh, as far as making a consistent winner without enormous fatal flaws, still went to a bowl game, finished with a better record. 
Uh, there were programs against whom he had a winning record. Scott Frost's best record against a Big Ten opponent was 2-2 two and two against Lovey Smith and Illinois. So, what I'm saying is, like, we're all in agreement Lovey Smith was one of the worst Big Ten coaches in recent memory. Scott Frost is a tier below that. Yeah, and again, the Riley recruiting classes that he inherited were ranked 29th, 26th, and 23rd. Plenty of talent to work We're not with. talking about bad as far as versus Nebraska who remembers national titles. We're talking about bad in terms of, like, if somebody at Rutgers did this, it would be terrible. And that it is certainly true. If somebody at Kansas that, did this, it would yeah, be terrible. The, the failure relative to their historical success and also their fans' expectations, which I guess is another interesting thing, right? Because the folks that we are exposed to are Nebraska writers, most of the people who show up on the blog from the Nebraska part of the world, are tend to be on the more reasonable end of the spectrum and understand that things are different now. And late 1995, let alone the 70s, when you were the first team to invent weightlifting. Um, I think most. I think if you don't firsthand remember the glory days, it's much easier to understand that they're not coming back. Um, but setting those reasonable expectations is going to be important. And I, to be honest, I haven't. I haven't actually looked at the statement that Trev Alberts made yet. I'm not plugged into the comments and expectations of the boosters and other prominent people around the program. But if they haven't reasonably calibrated that, because remember, Alberts was a teammate of Scott Frost's on those mid-90s teams. One of the youngest guys who can plausibly say that he was around and knows, understands what it takes to get to that level. But I have not, I don't recall seeing any tempering of expectations from him. Well, the thing is, even if you... Even if you're a Nebraska fan, or if you're part of Nebraska, and and yeah, that's obviously want you you want that to be your goal to compete for national titles. But you have to understand that there is no part of Nebraska athletics that is built that is set up to compete at that level immediately right now, except is, women's volleyball. <laughs> it, it, yeah, yeah, but but for football, yeah, there's no part of that football organization. That is set up to compete at that level now or even in the next 10 years. And I've seen a lot of comments in various places online, mostly from the Don and Carney types. You know the type. Um, declaring, this is still a great job. We still have a bigger fan base and more resources than anyone that we're lining up against. That is not true. Because the not fact anymore. of the matter is, Scott Frost and Mike Riley were pretty good recruiters. The recruiting didn't happen because Nebraska has inherent things that other people don't anymore. No, it happened because the coaches were good recruiters, and there's still something to sell there. Um, but look, it in terms of the appeal of this job, yeah, Nebraska will probably have to pay their next coach out of the gate at least four and a half, if not $5 million, and provide an appropriate assistant salary pool of about that much again. That's what they gave. I mean, they, they gave Brett Bielma four and a half million dollars worth of salary pool to begin yeah. with. Yeah. And so the thing is though, like you just mentioned, Illinois did that with their hire who was not a head coach anywhere. This kind of job to get anybody who, who is worthwhile to hire, you're going to have to make that kind of payment. But the point is everybody can offer that kind of money. The, the other choice that makes a lot of sense to me is Lance Leipold at Kansas. They just gave him an extension and a raise. Everyone can pay enough money to hang on to a coach now. You're not going to be able to open the checkbook and roll any Power 5 coach in here you want. You can still overwhelm a Group of 5 team. You can still give more money to a coordinator than they're going to make, you know, not being the head coach in a Power 5 job. But 
Yeah, man. And I mean, the other thing is, you know, think about for every coordinator at an elite program who turns into Kirby Smart, how many Tony Elliott's are there? There's a, like several. Several. Who boy will we ever get to him? Yeah. So, whenever... This Chris is, Ash, for God's sake. Well, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's an incredible so, example. Kind of, last thing here. This is less to do with Frost particularly. Whenever somebody, you know, a higher profile, higher visibility coaching hire like this flames out or a superstar player doesn't succeed in a new spot, there's always these people you see, um, whether they're defenders of the program or of the team or of the player or whoever, or just like people online butting in for some reason. There's this alliance of you shouldn't be mean dorks who show up and say you shouldn't celebrate somebody's failure. This is a lifelong dream of Scott Frost. Okay, a couple things. He's getting paid $15 million to have failed at his lifelong dream. Don't feel bad for him. Period. In the abstract. And the other thing is, in this case in particular, he was a douche nozzle at every possible opportunity. Hey, I got he, a question. You don't, have to, you don't have to go any farther than this. Anybody remember the time that Maurice Washington was suspended for the first half of a game because he was facing felony child pornography charges in a revenge porn case? But then their, their run game was really struggling. Um, God, against, uh, I don't even remember whom. It was a non-conference game. Um, was it Northern Illinois? I sure don't remember. Well, in any case, um, oh no, 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 no! It was it was Northwestern. Um, still, <laughs> still, uh, he was activated for the second half, and Scott Frost said that the reason was that the running game was struggling. So that's the amount of principles that that guy has. So mourn him not, because. You know, as I was saying, you can say that, you know, oh, it's about recruits didn't pan out. Oh, these coordinators didn't work out. Oh, he thought these players were going to be better than they were. Oh, this thing happened that, you know, this one loss, these two plays swing this way. It's a totally different story. Oh, man, he just should have had this coach. Well, the fact is, there's one thing all of these things have in common. It is you, Scott Frost. It is you. Was. So, anyway, let's talk about the rest of the league. Yeah, so it being this time of year, we have a string of tomato can games where there's not a whole lot to learn. I was at one of them, uh, Michigan State 52, Akron nothing. Really the only thing to see here and the thing that appears to be the central focus of the fan base, R2, don't bark at that lady walking her children, R2, little asshole, uh, only concern here really is Peyton Thorne not only not progressing, but showing some consistent alarming tendencies of throwing off his back foot, sailing passes, a couple of horrible interceptions. The level of difficulty goes up substantially this week. But again, there's enough good to see here that you can maybe hope that even against a better team and on the road on the West Coast... The rest of the team is good enough to carry him. So, anyway, lovely headstones. I'm just going to whistle right on past him. Um, Ohio State 45, Arkansas State 12. Great teams cover. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just kidding. Please don't hit my team so hard again this year. Um, and then perhaps the most overwrought game of the week. Michigan 56, Hawaii 10. Again, great teams cover. 
J.J. Uh, McCarthy was handed the quarterback job as designed by Jim Harbaugh from the beginning. This was the inevitable outcome. I hate that man more with every passing day. I didn't think it was possible. But here we are, as I sit, with a useless Cade McNamara on our fantasy team. Yeah, well, your team took out my fantasy quarterback. Uh, apparently, DJ Irons is going to be out for a long time, joining Brett Gabbert. So I'm now starting Johnny Langan at quarterback. Good news is, he gets a few receptions a game, so uh, got that going for me. Yeah. The interesting uh, thing is, Drew Aller has uh, better odds to win the Heisman per betting sites than uh, Sean Clifford, the guy who's getting starts, so <laughs> that's going to be interesting. Maybe I should put wild. him in. Um, so, anyway, I mean, I don't know. There's something to be said for the fact that even if, even if this was the inevitable conclusion, at least it seems to be designed in a way that was designed to get the team's buy-in which is important if you're going to unseat a guy that everybody saw as an unquestioned leader. Yes, true. Um, and look, it's it's true enough that in the small sample sizes this year, McNamara really appeared to struggle with the pressure of this situation, which again, created by his head coach opening the job for competition. So, but a perfectly adequate mistake-free quarterback. Well, does he have any eligibility left? <laughs> Always use those guys. McNamara? Yeah, dude. you got to remember... He redshirted in 2019. Oh, shit! Someone block his transfer to Northwestern. Sorry to tell you, man, but look. He yeah, he's, he's, he's taking them to a division title. Well, yeah, no and question. I, and I know it's because Peyton Thorne's in the same boat. Redshirted in 2019. 2020 doesn't count. That means they've actually only played one year. If he, well, he's already redshirted, so sitting this year won't actually gain him anything, but would have two more years of eligibility after this one if they wanted it. Um, it's crazy to think about. Three other FCS games of very little interest or competitiveness, Rutgers 66, Wagner 7. Rutgers still heavily rotating two quarterbacks, but not the ones you would think. I don't believe Noah Vedro has played yet this year. Nope. I don't know if he's hurt or what, or if they, like, I wonder if they're just, like, actually paying him to be an assistant coach already. It wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. You kind of know what he is. Evan Simon was still unproven enough that it's like, well, let's go look at and see what this guy does. Why not? Um, Snyder transferred. I think he's at Buffalo now. Look, are you telling them to stick with a quarterback because... That has been the one consistent thing in the Greg Schiano era, is that you never know on any given snap yeah. who's going to be the quarterback. And frankly, that is, that's about the most fun thing about their offense, because it sure isn't the plays. Yeah, it's sure not the plays, it's sure not the guys catching the ball or running the ball. So you may as well make it interesting at the quarterback spot. Oh, um, but if we're talking about FCS games, there was really only one particularly important one, and that was, of course... The absolute masterclass in coaching delivered by the most important coach in the conference. That's right, national title favorites, Minnesota whooped FCS powerhouse Western Illinois 62-10. to I comfortably played Mo Ibrahim and JMC this week because I knew that no matter what the score was, they were still going to keep giving him carries. Sure enough, they did 23 carries for your workhorse back coming back off of a torn Achilles in a game over an FCS opponent. Great game strategy. I'm sure that approach will never bite you in the ass. I got 89 points in a standard fantasy scoring with two quarterbacks. 
it's not been it's not been a banner year for either of us. Basically, the only the only silver lining for me in the OTE league is that I have Braylon Allen, and it's a keeper league, so I get to have him next year and hopefully build a roster that doesn't. Well, like, I'm dropping all my freshmen because I need players that will play. This is a two and quarter, aren't hurt. This is the first two quarterback league I've ever really played in, and perhaps that was a mistake. Uh, perhaps, well, with a with a with a with a pool of the a, Mac and the Big Ten and ten yes. teams, perhaps two quarterbacks was a bridge too far. Because yes, you and I have one functional quarterback between us, and Thorne has sucked this year from a statistical perspective. So anyway, um, Purdue fifty six, Indiana State zero. Excuse me. Uh, Charlie Jones is going to win the Blitnikoff. It's going to be fucking hilarious after Iowa scores a total of sixty points all year. Cause, okay, because uh, yeah, uh, my wife was trying to pick her. You know. Her, her lineups, I always just answer her questions, and she asked me about Charlie Jones, and I said, yeah, remember David Bell? He, he, basically, he's, he's, he's got his workload now. Apparently, he's David Bell, but not Brock Thompson. I'm like not I necessarily case, saying but. that he is David Bell, but he's certainly getting David Bell's target share. Yeah, and apparently <laughs> Payne Durham just, just turned into a, just like, replaced his hands with frying pans, because that's like what the NFL draft prep told him to do. So I don't know, man. He's been invisible this year. I invested heavily in Purdue's offense. Do I seem upset about it because it's everyone except the guy that has ended up getting all their targets? Yeah, I'm a little peeved, but what are you going to do? And this is why we're doing fantasy, by the way, why I pushed it, because it makes me think that we and also our other writers are going to get more invested in teams not their own, which I think is going to lead to better content for you, the listeners. I'm out here doing God's work, and I don't want to hear otherwise. Yeah, well, the problem is that you're trying to generate better content. This is uh, this is very controversial to say the least. Well, so what we're gonna do is, I'll take we'll take the content and we'll chop that up into twenty or thirty tweet derivatives. We'll use dummy accounts to send those out, and then I'll have you embed the tweets, write articles about those, and that'll be what apparently the mothership wants from us. Yes. Now, if they should happen to parse through this, they they should know that they haven't <laughs> like that it. they haven't given us our extremely tiny paychecks for this for like several years. Even though I keep putting in the mid roll ads, you know, like they ask me to, but at least the hosting is free now. What do you do? Maryland fifty six, Charlotte twenty one. I almost referred to this as an FCS game because I continue to get Charlotte and Chattanooga confused, although Chattanooga is apparently the better team this year. Um, Maryland's passing offense, as always in September, looks very good. Uh, Tongue of Iowa had five touchdowns in this game for I think like only the third time in Maryland history or something. I could be making that up, but I think I saw a statistic like that. Um, Anyway, it's a deep, capable passing offense. Three number one caliber receivers in Jarrett, Demas, and Copeland. They're going to absolutely fall pieces when the calendar turns to October, and it's going to be like, what happened? Well, it's just Maryland. That's yeah. not what they do. But Demis, they're they are fun Demis to watch. Demas is getting, like, one target a game now. He's clearly not ready for prime time just yet. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Jashawn Jones, however, has come off of his ACL tear quite mm-hmm. nicely. So His was, like, like I think, like, game one. Maybe. Yeah, his or was maybe, earlier. His was earlier, so... Um, you maybe don't want to be giving up 21 points to a bad team that's starting its third-string quarterback, but... I don't know how that game flow went, to be honest. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was not paying yeah. any attention because I can't, Charlotte... I can't, put a whole lot of, I can't put a whole lot of stock into it, but again, it's a really bad team, and their top two quarterbacks were out. Maybe a little bit of a sign of concern if your defense is giving up 21, but if they pull all their starters in the third quarter, then what are you going to say about it? Um, Penn State 46, Ohio 10. The real storyline from this is that Nick Singleton has indisputably arrived. Like, he now po- posted such a good game that 
Surely. James Franklin can't get away with like surely they can't keep rotating the th- like direction. James surely. Franklin Come is on, the er example of this where it's like I've got a really talented guy but for some reason I shouldn't play him that I much. got all these other guys also though and they they dap me up in the facility when I walk past them in the hallways they probably deserve a series or two here just give Singleton 25 carries a game don't do it oh my god why do they make it more I swear they make it more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. We'll see if they still do that rotation crap against Auburn. If Singleton isn't in there for 70% of the snaps, that's ridiculous. But that's really all there is to gain from this. Ohio has fallen off a cliff since so much retired. Minnie is absolutely in, in shambles. These dogs want to talk about the Illini and who can blame them. Now, as far as, as, far as Big Ten teams absolutely tripping all over their own dicks this weekend... Illinois certainly was one of them, but it didn't really matter in because... A score, in a three-score victory. How long has it been since you could say that? Yeah, it didn't even matter that they turned it over four times in the first half and could not execute in the red zone. At some point this year, it's going to matter, but uh, it was nice to see the offense work. It was nice to see the defense absolutely get after Brennan Armstrong. We'll uh, the secondary was much improved. We'll see how things look over the course of the year, but... If you have, if you, if you're the type that kind of likes to keep an eye on a handful of national stories, like, I, like, there's always a couple teams where I'm like, well, that's interesting. I wonder how that pans out. Virginia going from what they were last year, like, it's not like they, they didn't win the ACC or anything last year, but NFL. They might have competed had Brennan Armstrong not, not uh, got yeah. hurt. Yeah, they very he, well. He got hurt that. at halftime of a thir- of a 42 to 38 halftime score with BYU. Yeah. That game was going to be amazing if he'd stayed healthy for the rest of it. Yeah, and I just what I wonder about Virginia in particular this year is, do we end up looking back and being like, wow, Bronco Mendenhall retiring absolutely dynamited that just program. Just ended it. Like, uh, go, because, we're going back to, like, Al Groh, Mike London. Like, and this because is, you know, with Kansas's ascendance to, like, not necessarily a joke anymore, and as an Illini fan, I'm always very concerned about who is the worst Power Five program? <laughs> right. right? It, well, how, uh, right. How many of them are worse than us? <laughs> right. Because, like, right. if you don't, yeah. And you... so, so Kansas was the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world for over a decade. There were there were pretenders, uh, you know. Thought, it's funny. I, I don't know that Illinois was ever that much of a pretender because we always did reliably win two games a year. Yeah, Kansas in the 2010s is historically going to compare to Northwestern in the 80s, Baylor Colorado in the 80s. Colorado yeah. approached that level a few times. I mean, Colorado They're, in the 2010s was also very bad. They had some very bleak Vanderbilt, some very bleak Oregon State. Colorado, at least, they had a couple of like 6-7, I think 1-8 win season in there, though. Um, uh, that said... No, you're th- thinking we- of 2016 when they won 10 games. Prior yeah. to that, after two thousand, like from 2007 to 2016, Colorado was... Bleak. Yeah. Like Colorado, there was a year in this uh, in this college fantasy football challenge that I do, where we were just picking the running back that played them every week because they're giving up like 400 yards rushing again, like some inconceivable number. 2000. And you mentioned, I don't know, you know, the, twelve or something. The question is, who's the worst Power Five team? Colorado might end up being the answer again by the end. Of the yeah, season. that's but, that's absolutely true. But, but boy, the cl- the cliff keep an eye Virginia, on Virginia. Yeah, the cliff they have fallen off of. Holy shit! To lose twenty four to three in a game where you, you had a four to one turnover advantage, got four of those in the first half. Illinois had like several red zone drives where they came away with no points. 
Yeah, and this is always this is always the peril in hiring a coordinator from a power program. Tony Elliott, of course, was the OC at Clemson for a number of years. And I believe his total coaching experience, his total head coaching experience was like one brief stop a while ago. And it's always a question of, all right, well, how much is he really doing this? And how much is it the elite structure around him and the fantastic talent he's got? You know, keeping in mind for a large stretch of his no career. No head coaching experience, by the way. Oh, none. All right, I must be thinking of somebody else then. Um, large stretch of his coordinating experience at Clemson, he had Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson quarterbacking for him, which whatever you think of Watson, like, no doubt the guy's an amazing player. But, and then, like, between... And, and then, first like, round draft picks. Yeah, and between and around them was Kelly Bryant and Taj Boyd. Like, we're, they have never struggled for talent. Then let's talk about the receivers. Oh, yeah. Named... DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins. Sammy Watkins. Watkins. Yeah. T. Higgins. You got, like, I mean... Justin Ross is going to be that kind of player. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Travis Etienne. Running back. I don't think he was there for the C.J. Spiller days. That was probably a little... No, that was a long time ago. Um, But still, you know, not to mention a lot of draft picks on the offensive line. So, it, it, it feels like it pretty easy to be a successful offensive coordinator when you've got guys that can <laughs> yeah. beat man coverage against SEC teams. When you've got three of them at a time and an yeah. NFL quarterback. But the thing is, this Virginia team has an NFL quarterback. <laughs> Brennan Armstrong's yeah, going to get drafted. Like, like, like Trevor Lawrence going to the Jags and having worse receiving options. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely the situation that he's in, by the way. Um, so yeah, it's just keep an eye on Virginia is all we're saying um, at the risk of running a bit long here. And then Indiana 35, Idaho 22. Uh, this is not the kind... So maybe this game is exactly what it looks like, actually. Idaho was up 10-0 at halftime. Um, the also at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, they did give Washington State all they could handle in week one. So maybe this ends up aging well. But, man, it took a long time for Indiana's offense to get on track in this game. Um, still real signs of concern there, if I'm being it honest. It almost, it kind of, for some reason when I was thinking about this this game, like, I pictured one of those, you know, whenever you're watching, a, you know, especially on Big Ten Network, and there's there's going to be, like, like, some soft and upbeat, like, guitar or piano music as there's, like, panning shots through a lab, and you talk, and there's, like, a shot of a professor who's not really looking at the camera explaining, like, as we did research around dick trips, we found that the volume of <laughs> the vast volume of the research available was focused on the after effects of dick trips and leading up to dick trips, whereas there was a void of information on the moment of impact for a dick trip. And then, he, then it cuts to like a student that wasn't really well prepared for this, so there's a lot of cuts. We uh, harnessing the power of the raw emotion of the moment of impact on dick trips. So we can try to, it's, well, and then you go back to the professor who's now not, who's now like looking off to a different side of the camera. And it's like, <laughs> and it's just incredible that the Indiana University football organization is, is partnered with our, our, you know, our research grant here to you know, to partner and develop these these sort of crowd dispersion techniques to, without actually losing the objective, which is in this case the football game, this is just our pilot example here, we are able to disperse the crowd nonetheless by harnessing the moment of impact of a dick trip throughout an entire, throughout an entire sustained period of time. 
that's what we're on the cutting edge of here in, in, in our department at Indiana. We're grateful to all the support for the football team. Yeah. B1G lights, B1G life. So, we spent enough time talking about the teams that have won this week. We promised you at the outset, before we rambled about Scott Frost for 20 minutes, that we had a lot of other... Basically, proof positive that the divisions are a crime against quality and fairness and should be abolished immediately. Uh, throw open the doors of the clown car of embarrassing Big Ten West losses. By the way, for my power ranking this week, I ranked the, the East teams 1 through 7 and then commenced with Minnesota at number 8 in the West and proceeded from there. Washington State, 17. Wisconsin, 14. Having not watched this, I could not for the life of me figure out how this happened because Wisconsin dominated in the first down mark, 22 to only 10. Total yards, 401 to 253. Time of possession, 38 minutes to 22. Both teams turned it over three times. What am I missing? Oh, <laughs> Wisconsin had 11 penalties for over 100 yards and missed two field goals. That'll do it. Yeah, that's... You don't really need a whole hell of a lot more than that. Um, you know what else I'm going to look at is... Punting. That's weird. There are only seven punts in this game. So obviously Wisconsin got... You know, taken out of their element. Yeah, well, six total turnovers and two missed field goals. Like, yeah, possessions ending with no consequence whatsoever, essentially. Uh, Duke 31, Northwestern 23. Football is a game where it's important that you hold on to the goddamn ball. And if you spot your opponent three touchdowns, you've got no margin for mistakes at When the Wildcats fans see them on the schedule, it makes them want to puke. They can feel it all over. They can feel it all over. So if you talk, they can feel it all over. Drive up the windows of people. Easy money if you hit the money line like we told you. We're not always right, but when we, are, when we know we're right, we'll try to make sure we tell you. This result had been foretold. All the way back at the Northwestern preview episode of this podcast's off-season series in May, our intrepid leader and Wildcat correspondent, MN Wildcat, told you, yada, 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 a bunch of stuff complaining about the basketball team. We're going to lose to and Duke. I remember that line verbatim, yada, 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 Chris Collins, Pete Nance. Well, it's... It's like you just heard in the song. There's only one thing that can happen when Northwestern takes on Duke. There's a jingle in there. <laughs> so the Wildcat defense still can't tackle worth a crap, but defying expectations, their offense wasn't really the problem in this game. I mean, they had a couple of costly turnovers, yes, but Ryan Holinsky throwing for over 400-plus, um, Evan Hull with a pile of all-purpose yardage, but again, costly turnovers, and man, this defense isn't going to let them turn it over like that, which is, like, they're, they're playing left-handed here. If they I really to... think this is the worst format of loss, because you get the heartbreaker and the blowout feeling. Like, like the whole time you're feeling like you're getting blown out, that, that hopeless, we will never be good in my lifetime feeling. <laughs> and only for, for the end, you're just like, for one brief second, you get a glimmer of hope, and then you get the heartbreak. So, like, you get the worst of every kind of loss when you do this. These kind of things are, are kind of rare. But, like, at the, at the end of the day, 
They spotted Duke a 21 nothing lead real early. And one of the yeah. ways they did that was by Cam Mitchell deciding to turn and complain to the ref instead of making a tackle. Yeah. Yeah, this defense has a couple of pieces that look like they could be could be very useful. And Mitchell's one of those. Although, they're right. also lucky that... Uh, I, I was actually watching a lot of this game instead of, you know, the game everybody else cared about. The Alabama one was in this time slot. Mm. But, uh... Duke does not understand Big Ten football. They kept, like, they built this lead with successful rushing, and they kept throwing it. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what, what in God's name are you doing? Uh, like, oh, God, what, what, they, uh, yeah, they, they then chose to kick a field goal to make it an eight-point game, which, you know, in hindsight worked out, but it was, you know, right at the goal line. Yeah. You don't understand Big Ten football, man. You just don't understand Big Ten football. So, um, ultimately, Northwestern could have had a shot to tie it up, if not for a very well-placed helmet to the uh, <laughs> to the breadbasket of Evan Hull for the first fumble in his, what, in his career? I think so. I don't know. I can't say that for sure. But I mean, a, a, An extremely spectacular way to, yeah. to wrap this one up. To, to wrap one up that... Everybody assumed was uh, was was gone, so it's like, like I said, I think just the worst kind of loss is is this kind where you get you, you get to stew in all those hopeless blowout feelings where you know because as time goes on, all the all the stoppages of play you're just stewing you're thinking and then you, you go through going through all the phrases the phases like okay well look what kind of changes would we have to make to look a little better next year are there any pieces that I can what can I even watch for for the rest of this game you're not even remotely you know the game's already over as far as you're concerned but you're you're you're, you're demented you're gonna sit there through the end of it I'm speaking from experience here but you, you stew in all those horrible hopeless feelings only for hope to come back and then get ripped away that was my that was my opening experience to college really I remember I didn't really watch a lot of college football in high school, and I arrived at Michigan State in 2006 for the last season of John L. Smith. Yeah, there was a lot of, what am I even doing here, kind of thinking going on. There, there certainly was. But anyway, we have waited too long. It is time now, finally, to get to the most demented version of El Asico since the 9-6 game, which I think was 2016 or 14. Anyway, best vintage we've had in a while, folks. You're really going to love this one. Iowa State 10, Iowa 7. Don't worry, don't, don't, there's no cause for alarm. Those seven points are indeed a touchdown, which Iowa's offense scored. Good for them. Good for Iowa's offense scoring a touchdown, putting points on the board. What hold, did it hold cost? On. Hold on. Okay. I'm being told that they scored that touchdown after getting the ball at the 16-yard line going in after a blocked punt. Iowa ran... 52 total plays on offense to Iowa State's 79. Spencer Petras once again completed fewer than half his passes for less than 100 yards and no touchdowns plus an interception. The run game is still completely impotent, averaging right around two yards per carry from tailbacks. Ference acknowledged need for the offense to be better, but man, talk is cheap. If, if they put Alex Padilla in next week, it, it's not going to be markedly different because they tried that last year. He's kind of the same guy as Petrus because this offense is broken. Top to bottom, playbook, design, philosophy, nothing works. And the talent is lesser than it has been in the last few years. Did you happen to cite the number of yards that Iowa gained on offense that day? No, I don't think It was 150. Which is 
fewer than they got in a game when they managed a field goal on offense against South. It's Kansas also State. less than half what Iowa State got. Yeah, that Iowa State only won this game by three is astounding, and yet another testament to the incredible quality of the Iowa defense and special teams. There have not been many occasions in conference history. I mean, it like I remember being frustrated. In 2018, 2019, even a little bit into 2020, but more 18 and 19, the last two D'Antonio years, with how good the Michigan State defense still was most of the time, paired with this just slapdick offense that most of the time couldn't get to 20. And I thought that was terrible. And I would never see such an imbalanced team like that anytime soon, certainly. like Maybe not never, because you never know about never. But like well, surely, couple- surely it's going to be a long time. Well, last year we had a, a bit of a problem on offense at Illinois, but prior to that... Bit of a problem. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, that's a rebuild. Prior to that, the last two times I remember thinking, we're wasting a generational defense with this slapdick offense. We had a new coach the next year. <laughs> it was 2011 and 2015. Well, if there's anything I know for sure is not going to happen, it's that. Ference is firmer into the foundations of Iowa than the very cornerstone of Kinnick Stadium. So so ultimately... And as long as he's there, Brian ain't going anywhere. And it wouldn't matter if he did, by the way. I don't believe for a second that Brian Ferentz has designed an offense this impotent entirely because of his own incompetence. This is what Dad wants. So that's what the offense is. By some miracle, uh, Iowa managed to drive 43 yards on their final drive. 40, about a, nearly a third, a third of their yards of the day. Yeah. But what did it set up? A 48-yard <laughs> field goal through the driving rain. I mean, credit to this guy. It was a lot closer than it had any right to be. But, man, if he makes if he makes that kick, I'm calling the hacks. Yeah, and of course the other thing, Iowa State's touchdown drive, 21 plays, almost 12 minutes off the clock. Does that remind Iowa fans of anything? Just gonna put that out there. That's ill-spirited of me. I don't mean to rub it in. But man, this Iowa team makes the last couple of D'Antonio Michigan State teams look like Joe Burrow's LSU. I mean, it's just unwatchable. And uh, yeah, thinking that it's going to improve if they fire Brian Ferentz. Remember, Kirk Ferentz brought in Greg Davis to try to modernize his offense and tried to staple his own running scheme to what Davis had done at Texas. Like, this is this is not a man who views offense as a complementary part of a football team. It's the part that he needs to not get in the well, way. Well, but I mean, at the same time, I also said this kind of with Scott Frost and with Lovey Smith with their, their coordinators, where it's like, what do you, you think these guys are just, these coordinators are just doing their own thing with no input from the coach? Yeah, exactly. But do you, do you think the coach is just like, you know, having these weekly performance meetings where it's like, oh, wow, what have you done this time? I, I mean, with no input from me. <laughs> How could you fuck up this badly? I had no idea what you were doing. No, it's the man at the top. That's and not what's going on. It's the man at the top. And the thing to keep in mind is Ference's personal calling card has always been offensive line play. That's his background. That's what he knows best. With a couple of exceptions... That has not been nearly what it was, you know, these last few years. It's 
consistently fallen, really since Reese Morgan retired. Their line play has not been as consistently good. That Phil Parker is content to sit there and masterfully teach this same defense to generation after generation of players, that they're still able to identify the defensive linemen and defensive backs who can be difference makers in that system, means that they haven't lost it, right? I would never say that a guy with Ference's track record can't do it anymore. Although I've said that about Tom Izzo. Um, but I don't know what the fix is here, man. What is the fix? I'll tell you what, man. If, if I'm an Iowa fan, I'm a bit... I, I gotta be despondent because as an Illinois fan, I'm now thinking, well... See, I was... I was I was thinking the limitations on Brett Bielema would, would be that, well, he's trying to kind of do Big Ten West football, but these other people have been doing it for longer better, so the only way it works is if they just stop being able to do it well. And <laughs> look what's happening! I was forgetting how to run the ball. They can't block his own stretch anymore. Wisconsin's run game has become a lot more stop-and-go than it used to be. Minnesota seems to be hitting their stride reasonably well. We'll see how that works when their quarterback and all their offensive linemen leave next year. Well, we will also see what happens when they play somebody with a pulse. Well, that's they're in the Big Ten West. That's not going to happen <laughs> until they get to the conference title game. So. No, 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 no. Don't even pretend that even the lowliest of us isn't damn sight better than Western Illinois and New Mexico State. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we'll see if they end up they, if, if they have, say, the caliber of a Bowling Green in there. Yeah, we'll see if they end up regretting taking the Michigan approach to schedule. Anyway, enough talk about our crappy conference. Viva la Fondelt! Viva la Revolution! It turned out Georgia Southern's triumph in Lincoln only gets the bronze medal for scalps that that conference managed to claim last weekend. Marshall took down Notre Dame in South Bend on Peacock, of course, because why would it be nationally televised when they can hide it? Appalachian State. Oh, I got that on my NBC, though. Did you? All right. Because I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it's still it's a Notre Dame thing. So it's like it's as, as always. You get the Notre Dame broadcast, which is great because every time I turn to it, dead silence, <laughs> <laughs> just minutes of silence, Hawk Harrelson like silence. It's great, um, amazing play by the Marshall corner to 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 get that pick six, and it just goes to show Notre Dame. You can only succeed by being pure dag nasty evil, man. Marcus Freeman was a popular hire. Everybody seemed to really like the guy and think he deserved a shot. First coach in history to start 0-3. Yep. You got to go Urban Meyer. You got to get Brian Kelly back. You got to have a real son of a bitch in there. The good news is it's important for everyone to hate you. So there you go. Just go back to making sure that everyone hates you and you'll be right as rain. Speaking of everyone hates you, Appalachian State dominated Texas A&M after a midnight yell video that Texas A&M's lawyers have tried to get removed from Twitter. What? Have you used Yes, there's a video that was circulating of some cheerleader doing this weird cult shit that they do, making, like, basically the worst mic work you've ever seen from a heel at a WWE event. You know, it's interesting because I, I somehow, late at night I was on something called Aggiepedia, which is really funny. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Texas site, to, let's be clear, but I did there see a video... From 1981, where, you know, the SMU cheerleaders, as visiting cheerleaders do, you know, ran out onto the field when SMU scored a touchdown into the end zone with their signs that say, SMU! And one of, and what one of those uh, Corps of Cadets Army cosplayers did was 
he ran on onto the end zone, took out his little toy sword that they always have, and started brandishing it at the cheerleaders, <laughs> literally waving a sword at the cheerleaders in the end zone until another cheerleader came over and blindsided him off his ass. <laughs> and since then, they have not been allowed to carry those little swords around. Yeah, you shouldn't carry a sword in public, man. Especially when... You are not actually military, have no discipline like military, you're just a bunch of cosplayers. You get a fixed bayonets or something? What the hell is the matter with you? So, anyway, highlights of that speech basically included making fun of Boone for being way out in the sticks. College Station, of course, is a bastion of culture and modern, you know, modern living. So, anyway, hilarious. Again, another game where, I don't know how this was only a field goal, Appalachian State dominated Texas A&M. A&M got 38 snaps. 38 snaps, less than 100 yards rushing. A&M, I think, roughly doubled them up on yards. Uh, A&M's only touchdown, or one of their, no, it was 17-14, right? So one of their two touchdowns, kick return. So there was nothing that worked about this offense. And remember, of course, the particularly entertaining part about this, Haynes King, Texas A&M's quarterback this year, is the guy who Jimbo chased off Zach Calzada for. If the name Zach Calzada is ringing a bell to you, that's because he's the guy who beat Alabama for them last year. What is it with these coaches chasing away quarterbacks who win them the biggest games of their careers? Oh, maybe not in Jimbo. Are you suggesting that it is unusual for very talented quarterbacks to leave Texas A&M? This is certainly not a thing that I can recall happening recently. As a man, Jimbo, though, I mean, he had Kellen Mond, like, the whole time he'd been there until well, last year. What's interesting is his record at Texas A&M is uh, one, one game worse than, than Kevin, Kevin Sullivan's at the time. Meanwhile, Denver Harris, a uh, five-star corner there, was late at last seen live-streaming, uh, zooming around a parking lot, or a parking garage, a tight parking garage, at, like, 50 miles an hour in his Wrangler, which, uh, which of course, as he helpfully reminded us, he put a supercharger on it, bitch. Um, how he didn't hit the car coming the other way, I'll never know. But look, that's totally irresponsible. And by which I mean, you know, you got to get the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk instead. First off, it'll pull a lot more G's on the skid pad because obviously off-roading is not really his driving use case. Uh, what he needs is something that will absolutely make those extremely tight turns at high speed that he's so fond of doing. And second... I don't know if you've seen the ads, but it is true what they say. That bitch come with a supercharger already on it. The dog correspondents have re-entered the chat as they heard we were talking about Revly. So So anyway, point is, it's still very much Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. Um, Elsewhere, BYU beat Baylor in double overtime in the regrettable. Um, Every single student who rushed the field was out past curfew, so unfortunately they have all been expelled for honor code violations. Sorry to say it. Texas Tech technically upsetting Houston. Technically. <laughs> uh, Houston were ranked and Texas Tech weren't, but I think Tech ended up being the gambling favorite. Um, took them double overtime. And then, hey, a game that I told you to keep an eye on last week, Kansas beat West Virginia in a walk-off pick six. Won an overtime game by two scores, which can't happen all that often. Told you all to keep your eyes on that one. You have promised the timeline at some point of your your prognostication, your prophecy, nay, that 2023 Kansas would have their best season since the Orange Bowl. Damn if it doesn't look like we are speeding towards that reality with every passing week. Yeah, I knew it was going to happen. It's just now the 
you know, the 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 road there is becoming a little clearer. Um, oh yeah, it's 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 like that scene in Bruce Almighty where he flicks his wrist and all the parked cars like part like open yeah. and get out of the way, just like a straight path. Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's not. Um, I never questioned if it would happen. I just was curious. How, like I thought. I like the writers actually did a pretty good job with this because you know I thought it was going to be less miles, right? They really threw me for a curveball there. I was really invested in the less miles storyline, but it turns out he's it was, it was kind of some Game of Thrones shit there yeah, where he was like, oh wow, they unceremoniously executed. And I'm like, read, oh man, they read wedding Tim. How is this ever going to work out? Jeez, yeah. how is this? Yeah, so I thought they wrote themselves into a corner when that less miles storyline fizzled out, but oh yeah, the Lance Leifold one. And of course, the story of the week, if you are subscribing to ESPN's approach to college football, um, Texas made Bama beat their own blood. The Crimson Tide only won by a single point. That's an easy cover of a 20, 21-point spread. Um, looking forward to hearing how back Texas is. Wait, unless I'm mistaken, didn't Texas move into the rankings with this loss? I believe so. The most fucking ridiculous thing you have ever heard in your life. We have we have officially jumped the shark with the good loss thing. There are plenty of undefeated teams left in the country. So, there are two interesting things that I saw happen in this game. One is, I don't... I mean, I guess you couldn't definitely say that Bryce Young was down for an end, for an end zone safety before throwing the ball. But if not... Boy, it was about the luckiest thing I've ever seen because it... Rolled it, over it, two, His two yeah. knees... Millimeters from the ground, he rolls over a defender, gets the ball out again. Millimeters before his shoulder pad comes down on the ground, just unbelievable. Then, even though nobody really contacts him, they have an official review for targeting. How can we make sure that they don't have to punt the ball away here? And then second, um, I don't know if it's been deleted yet, but uh, apparently Drew Brees had some uh, advice uh, on social media for Quinn Ewers, which is, uh, oh yeah, it's a separated AC joint, you know, going halftime, you know, get a, you know, get shot up with cortisone and then, you know, get a, get a sling and, and just, just take shotgun snaps only. Come on, kid, get back out there. I'm like, um, this is not sound medical advice. Yeah, yeah, so Drew Brees in his spare time apparently is going to go coach at West Canaan and be the next, you know, the next guy in Varsity Blues. Like, what the hell? Uh, anyway. Yikes. So, any other games that caught your attention in the week that was? Well, obviously, Bowling Green and Eastern Kentucky was the late one I was watching because they were threatening our damn record uh, of the overtimes. They were really going to try to do it. They got to seven, although in five, Eastern Kentucky tried to put it away with the best or worst play call I've ever seen. It was a <laughs> hook and ladder to the right tackle. Just think about, like, not only did they want to win the game, they wanted to make sure they would never, ever be forgotten. Again, man, Varsity Blues. People just trying to live out the plot of the Billy Bob I mean, Thornton. Just no, he was that one. What am I saying? Um, on John real Boyd. stuff. Now, John they Boyd. did actually Jeez. get it. They did get it in 7 OT, which was great. Um, Tennessee kind of dominated Pittsburgh more than the score would lead you to believe. Hmm. Um, but it was an, an, an overtime win. Uh, I don't I don't know that I have necessarily anything else. Other than no. Sam Hartman returned for Woke Forest. Um, North Carolina nearly escaped Georgia State, and it seems like uh, that's just going to be a thing with them. For you know, how uh, do you now rank them? How do you rank Texas over North Carolina? North, North Carolina, Serena. <laughs> I'm saying, man, they've always, always had it in the background. Absolutely, always. 
nothing good has ever happened like that. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!